Hey everybody, it's Robert Gowan. Welcome to Mentors Military, another episode here. We're at the beautiful Pearl and Pine Brewery inside Sonoya, Georgia, which was uh, founded uh, by an 82nd Airborne veteran. And uh, he's now part owner of this and head brewer, and we're very pleased uh, and uh, honored to be here. And I'm joined by the host. How are you guys, I'm Kyle. So um, today we've got an episode that this is like unusual. Yeah, I don't know this, that we've this, ever had. This is off the grid for us. Yeah, definitely. So, um, first off, Kurt, thank you so much for coming yeah, all this way welcome. from Houston, yeah, Texas. My pleasure. Yeah, it's a it's a pleasure. Now, so we have a mutual friend um, and somebody that um, we both know. Uh, I've known Zeke now. I'm trying to think of it since maybe he was uh, about four years old. I think or okay. five years old. You got so, me beat. So a long time. You got me beat. Uh, just met Zeke in college, so not too long ago. Yeah. Before. Yeah. Well, he spent a long time in college. I think he spent. That's true. Uh, yeah. That's true. I think I caught him on his first senior trip. Okay. So I don't know how, maybe one or two more after that. So not the 11 years prior yeah, to that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Got you. Um, and when we talked to him about that, he, t <laughs> he, he took the, uh, the long route. Well, I forget what his saying is about that. Uh, we'll have to ask him about that. I'm sure he'll listen to this episode and That's call right. me up. I'm sure. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for joining us and coming on this pleasure. way. My pleasure. So you have a very unique background and um, you were in the Air Force. So let's first start off. Why did you even join the military? What was uh, so intriguing? Why did I join the military? Um, you know, I thought about this kind of thinking through questions you were going to ask. And uh, I had a grandfather who was in World War II. I don't think he was in combat or anything like that. Uh, I, my father was in the Air Force, and he's a bit older than me, uh, or older than the rest of my friends my age, his parents were. Um, and he kind of filled my childhood with stories of the military, a lot of American patriotism and nostalgia. Uh, so for me, it was something that I felt like I wanted to do, um, but I, did, I didn't really have a path. I grew up in a really small town. Uh, in central Illinois out in a cornfield and I, I, I honestly don't know to this day if I if I knew many people who went into the military we had the the recruiters would come in at lunchtime and and everybody would look at them like no you're not dumb enough to talk to that marine recruiter are you you know and um, and then I had my dad in the background saying no you, you, you don't need to go in the Marines uh, and so Fast forward a couple years through high school, um, I was waking up on 9-11 and my mom called me. I was probably in a, a bit of a haze because it was in a fraternity house back in Illinois before I went to school with our, our friend. Uh, and she said, you know, hey, turn on the TV. Are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. What's going on? You know, and, and then... I don't need to rehash the story of that day for everybody, but ironically, I had, I had started taking an uh, Army ROTC class uh, at Illinois State, and it was, it was just, I mean, the, the irony of that, because it was really just for me to explore, you know, a military career, get a little more information as one of those electives that you take or whatever, and they had taken me uh, on a couple army trips, camping and stuff like that. In my head, I'm saying, this is not me. I, I, need, to, I need to find a different branch. I don't like sleeping with the snakes. Um, so when 9-11 happened, it was really for me just a moment where I felt like, you know, duty calls and I, I gotta figure this out. I gotta figure out how I need to do what I, what I wanna do. Um, and, and that was really the moment where I decided to go into the Air Force and I found a detachment down in Texas that was that I felt like was good for me because they had to they had a big system down there and and pumped out a lot of officers. Was so. this a National Guard at the time? No, or? it was it was just a it was another school down there, uh, Southwest Texas State, which is now Texas State. Detachment 840 is like one of the biggest ROTC detachments. So I went down there, talked to them. Uh, they gave me sort of like a, I guess like a partial scholarship or whatever to come down there and finish out uh, two years of school and, and then commission. What was your major at that time frame? 
<laughs> I think I was a pre-law major. I was taking a bunch of uh, political science and, and criminal justice classes down there. Okay. A pretty general degree. Yeah. Yeah. Not specialized. So when you ended up, when you graduated from college, that's yeah. when you get your full commission. You go off to like OCS or something of that nature, or how did that work? Yeah, so you go to field training uh, before your last year in ROTC. Uh, I went to field training uh, in San Antonio at Lackland Air Force Base. It's where they do all the boot camps for enlisted as well uh, in July. So anybody who's been in San Antonio in July knows it's hot. It's hot. It's hot. Yeah. Um, so finished that in 2004. I commissioned in 2004 in December and reported to my first duty station January 3rd, 2005. So what were you commissioned as? Second Lieutenant. No, I mean, in what branch? Like, or did, and did you select the branch? Yeah, Air Force. Yeah. It, it was an Air Force ROTC program down there. So I, I knew when I went down there, I was going in the Air Force. Wanted to fly a plane. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, as, you know, previous guests were talking about, the uh, uh, military had different plans for me. So, yeah. So what was the military occupational uh specialty or the branch so that's what yeah that uh, you were commissioned into i was commissioned into the united states air force oh no no i no, mean no, like like, and, and like what mos branches, like uh well, i'm sorry oh gotcha armor we're speaking a different language oh, we are speaking a different language man <laughs> you said you i'm were, like I'm, i was in the air force yeah no for officers it's always your branch to something yeah, like branch, infantry or head, um, gotcha yeah. yeah so i'm sorry different uh yeah we i mean so I, I, you get, you basically get selected for your job when you're still in school. So okay. I think I want to say like, I don't know, the summer of 2004, something like that. I was selected as a 13 Sierra missile operator, ICBM operator. Um, and that's, that's kind of the beginning of. What'd you think of that when you were selected? Is it, um, <laughs> I remember, I, I, I remember this like it was yesterday. Um, I really wanted to, to fly planes. And back then I, I, I actually wanted to fly because I thought it would be cool. Not because I loved flying or anything like that. I just, I just really always thought it would be cool to fly. So I didn't have, you know, I, had, I was underprepared and, and things like that. But the, um, I, I don't know if it was the day of, but I can tell you I was driving down the back roads of Central Texas, talking to my mom, driving my little S10 pickup, and I was crying, man. I was like, I was devastated uh, because I had, I had, you know, when I got into the Air Force, it, I, I was going in sort of like, you know, out of duty, and I, I never intended to make it a career. Um, I just wanted to serve and I felt called to do that after 9-11, but um, man, I, I was devastated when, when I got the news because it was nothing that I wanted to do. It, it like, I felt, I just felt like, like the, the path that I wanted was taken away from me and your call to duty was yeah, wasted. At yeah. Some, it was sort of, yeah. was sort of like, you know. <clears throat> Almost I, a lot, a lot of personal failure is what I felt like, what, what did I do wrong? You know, I had tried to do so much to sort of be at the top of the list, you know, in the detachment before you get those assignments and didn't get it. Did you ever figure out how it is that they'd make those selections and why this <laughs> occurred? I mean, <laughs> that, the million dollar question, I think if anybody's been in the air force that's listening, they're going to say, there is no rhyme or reason. Yeah. I mean, there are things you can do, but the reality is it's, it's like, you know, they open the floodgates and then they close the floodgates. And I want to say the year that, that I was up for the pilot board may, they just didn't select many. And, you know, I wasn't as close to the top as maybe I, I could have been or needed to be to get one of those slots. It's, it's so interesting to us, I mean, especially on the enlisted side of the house sure. for the Army, we're guaranteed whatever job it is we want. And 
for those who are listening or watching is for in terms of recruiting, yeah. this is a key takeaway that none of the other branches guarantee. That's the reason I joined the army. It is. Yeah. I mean, and it's a reason why in recruiting, it was like, well, you can go over there and figure out and play a roulette with what you're going to yeah. do, yeah. or you can come to the army. And I'm going to tell you that if that's what you want, I'm going to guarantee it in contract. Yeah. ROTC Air Force is roulette. That's a, that's a great way to say it. It is roulette. Yeah. You have no idea and really no control over what you're going to do. So, I mean, I guess you were flying something. It was like a 20,000 ton um, missile, you know? You want to be a pilot? How about that? That's right. That's right. Oh, you like being high altitudes? Let's put you underground, like 60 feet underground. Yeah, that was that so. Was when you was. when you left, uh, you know, college and you got commission. Um, I mean, where is the training for this? I mean, how do you? And, and maybe you don't. You can not allowed to tell. But I mean, it's more like what kind of training goes into this type of thing that may be perhaps why you were selected. I have no idea why I was selected. I, they say that I'm trying reason, to help you out. I know, here. you are. You are. You're throwing me a bone. But I, they say the reason you're selected is because, you know, you did you did well and and you wanted to be in operations. Right. And so if you want to be in ops, you know, they'll they'll flag you for an ops role. Right. Uh, everybody starts out post post commission. Uh, at Air and Space Basic Course in Montgomery, Alabama at Maxwell Air Force Base. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So you spend, I don't know how long we were there, maybe a month and a half. Yeah. And then my technical training was out at Vandenberg Air Force Base, which is sort of like central California. It's really, really nice. Um, Not that there's anything near the Air Force Base, but the general area is really cool. Um, And that's where they they do test launches. I mean, you you can watch those. Um, you know, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. They do test launches of of our ICBMs <laughs> and and uh, and a lot of satellites. And you know, there's now there's different commercial companies. I'm sure that are launching off of there. Is Elon out there? Uh, he's in Texas now. That's he right. Because he us. left the whole state of That's Texas. That's right. He's in Boca Chica. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Did you did you tease that up for taste. a reason or yeah, something? I was just wondering, man. He's like, you can go out there and look, and there's other private entities oh, out there. I'm thinking, like, right. you know, Virgin or whatever. Everybody's out there shooting off there. Now, most of the companies, uh, big companies, uh, through some of the the recent changes and stuff, decided to to leave Texas, and I sure. think California. I mean, sorry, California or Texas, yeah, for right. Texas, and they uh, they went to Texas because of taxes and everything else. So, yeah. anyway, so you leave uh, your training, you're out in Cali, and um, did you get a chance to at least select your first duty assignment location? Absolutely or not. No. <laughs> no. Uh, so you're, you're in training out in Vandenberg. Uh, you're with a, a big class. And the way they kind of do it is, you know, sort of like half of you are going to end up going into um, sort of more of the satellite, you know, space command stuff. And the, the other folks are going to go into missiles. And so uh, I, I already had a, a missile spot out of, out of school. So I, I mean, everybody knows kind of where they're going, but you're training with those folks at, at the beginning, sort of the beginning stages, I guess, of tech, tech training. Um, and then towards the end of that, you, you know, you, you sort of graduate through weapon systems and then emergency or war order procedures and stuff like that out there. Um, it's I'm out right there. okay. Emergency war. Well, we're going to get in yeah. there. Wait, wait, wait let's go. <laughs> and, we'll then, get in. and then towards the end, they kind of have like the assignment drops. Yeah. Right. And that was when I got, uh, uh, stationed in Minot, North Dakota. Was there, was there anybody else living out in that location? Cause that's so, I mean, very few people go to Minot, North Dakota, unless they have to, um, I've been. Portal North Dakota's okay. on the way. And that's okay. where I crossed over to go to Alaska when I went to Canada. Oh, cool. I oh, drove through Minot. And I, was like, cool. I forgot that you drove. Uh, yeah, there's an Air Force base around here? Yeah. Is it underground? Like, where, yeah, like, there, there's <laughs> an Air Force base and a lot of nuclear weapons yeah. out in, in, in that area. Um, yeah, so, so got my assignment, went out there. And the, the, really the silver lining, and this is the, I bet everybody has a story like this. I ended up going out there with 
one of my best friends from ROTC who we kept getting almost like paired together the whole way. Uh, he actually just retired as a Lieutenant Colonel, uh, maybe a month or two ago. Um, and, and another really close friend of mine, the three of us got stationed together in missiles in Minot, North Dakota. So, so when you say station in missiles, before I get too ahead of what that, you know, like, hey, time out, let's get into this deeper and stuff. What the hell does that mean? I mean, like, when you talk about the training and everything else, are you literally like um, going through the training to understand um, the ballistics, the understanding of the, the missile itself, um, how to detonate and launch? And I mean, is it? Yeah. Uh, so mo most mostly it, it's just a lot of it's sort of, you know, you're operating a weapon system. So maybe it's similar to somebody that is, you know, a Wizzo and a F-15 or something like that. Um, that's the closest comparison, I would say. So it's not just pushing a button, no. like, you know, like show on TV. You, know, you flip the little switch and no. you push the button. There was right. a key, and another yeah. guy has a key, and you that, all turn them at the same that's time. Like, that's like half of it. But the other half is, is maintaining operational capability, right? Because we want to have these uh, missiles ready all the time. So part of your job is to make sure that the sites are secured. The, the two halves of it are, are broken up kind of in the you know, emergency war order procedures, and then, or the emergency action message procedures, whatever you want to call it, the, the super top secret stuff. Mm -hmm. and, the, and then just the weapon system, you know, here's, here's how to fix a problem and here's what you do when, you know, you get a, an alarm for security and things like that. I would like imagine that. that the bulk of it is just rehearsal, rehearsal, rehearsal. It is. And make it muscle memory, make it to where you can't forget what to do. Yep. That way, if it comes at 2.30 in the morning and something's got to happen, you have to make it, you got to make it work, right? That's, so, that's exactly right. And is it just inducing failures at each phase of, of operations and seeing how, how you guys are going to react? And then is it a team environment as well? Like, it is. It's a team environment. You have a, you have a crew partner mm -hmm. uh, because in the real world, you're in a capsule with another, another crew commander or a deputy crew commander depending on where you're sitting. <laughs> it's hilarious watching this fly. All right, so deputy commander's in the seat next to you, or yep. deputy? Uh, what, commander, what deputy commander, okay. right and left seat. Okay. Similar to, I guess, pilots, and mm -hmm. it's the, the closest reference yeah. I can make to being a pilot. Is this like a, I mean, okay. So that are probably in your head as well, is the vision that they show in Hollywood of, <laughs> You know, it's dark, you're underground, you're sitting there with all these visual controls in front of you. And like Kyle said, you each have a key, maybe it's in a safe, you first got to enter the code, you got these sequences. I mean, like, are they making a big ordeal out of this? Or is it seriously, that is part of the protocol is to ensure the reason why you have a left and right is that two people have to make decisions. Yeah about the information that's coming in yep. to determine whether or not it's legit. Yeah, there, there's, I mean, it's all about redundancy, right? And it, it doesn't even stop there. It, it goes beyond just the two people uh, and into sort of what's necessary for an ICBM to launch. So um, yeah, you know, we're, we're safe. I'll just put it that way. It's, uh, there's a lot of redundancy, so. Is there, is there ever, um, and you don't have to answer this if you can't, but <laughs> is, is part of that to really ensure too that um, the protocols that have been put in place are secure enough in a way in which um, the command that's coming in, the incoming command, mm. um, especially I, you know, let's go ahead and bring it up. Artificial intelligence and all those types of things. Um, you know, is the idea and the intent, hey, let's make sure this is coming from the right location. You right. know, it's encrypted. I mean, we do this out in the field yep. and stuff. You've got to make sure. Same yeah. stuff. Okay, so it's yeah, the same it's, type of thing. We're making sure it's been uh, properly coded and, and we're getting right. the right information. You said this, this is how I interpret it. I'm gonna say this yep. back. Do we receive both? And, you know, are we in sync here? So very similar type very, of things. Very similar stuff. 
as that. Very comforting to those of us yeah. who don't know anything about what you're talking <laughs> so about. Like, anymore, you feel like it's not just a, it's not just a dude sitting alone in his pajamas, yeah. you know. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, it could, yeah. It could very well have been that. So, you so know, like at any point, we did wear pajamas, but you know. if you guys feel like a chink in the armor, you do you have like capabilities to say, nope, this didn't happen. Bam. Um. Yes, like, of course. Yeah, yeah. That, that level of yeah. like, that level of trust in the two people right. left seat, right seat. Right. You have to have the ability to say no. Right. Right. Yeah. You you have the you have the ability. You're almost like a vote. Yes. Right. So you're you're you you have the ability to to not vote. Who is in typically in charge? Like what level? Like is it is it like a 05 billet or 06 it'll, billet? It'll typically be like in a capsule. It'll typically between the two, the the commander, deputy commander. It'll typically typically be an 02. Okay. So I was wow. a deputy. I was a commander before I got out, uh, and I was my rank was a first lieutenant. So yeah, young, That's, yeah, very young. Looking back, it's almost scary i don't know uh, if first lieutenants are created equal then <laughs> no <laughs> no so i would say you were very special yeah. by that part uh, oh, yeah. and why you were selected because my of, wife calls me special so <laughs> i think that's a fair assessment yeah <laughs> that's not what i meant Kurt. <laughs> no, no what, what i was thinking is more uh, there must have been some kind of um <sighs> Yeah, there must have been something there. I, right. I was going to say intelligence, and that's that's actually probably that's more of a slap. Yeah, slap in the Kyle face. tried to say that earlier, but he's got like a 184 IQ. Or not at all. Like, not at all. So I was going to ask that. So is there any prerequisite or something? You know, that, that is. Kyle was asking this earlier about you know, like in, implying that I'm some kind of genius, but the reality is, I was actually in there um, as just a like I felt like just a normal normal kid I didn't get like straight A's or anything like that uh and a lot of the guys that were in this field were like uh, aerospace engineers and out, out of like really good schools so I mean these guys are like rocket scientists yeah and I That's was what I would have I thought was, like, I was in their class it was you know for me I was like I've never taken an engineering course ever uh like I do not belong here there has um, to be a discriminator, yeah. Though for the person, and it might not Man. be nuts and bolts. It might be personality. You know what I it was? I, he was the attorney <laughs> that was going to look at this from a very analytical yeah, legal standpoint. Yes, that's what I'm thinking. Man, it it's like anything else. You know, you work hard, you surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. That I mean, that like it was ironic in a way because I felt like I surrounded myself with people that were way smarter than me and that's been one of my things in life that I felt like has made me maybe a little different on the outcome side you know um I would say you're different Kurt and just in the fact that there's not very many of us who've had the ability to launch an ICBM yeah definitely there's there's not many I, I've never met like a I shot a tow a, missile once. another <laughs> I've never outside of the folks that I was in with doing that job. I don't know if I've ever met another uh, another missileer in the wild. So it's it's there's just not many. You know, there's a finite number of missiles. There's a finite number of people that are going to go through that program. So just just you know, basic yeah. basic math doesn't. So how long did you end up staying in North Dakota? I was there until August 15th, 2007. Okay. I got out. I, I actually voluntarily separated. Um, I can't remember exactly what was happening at the time, but they were doing a, a reduction in force in the Air Force. And um, our career field at the time was considered critically manned, which meant no one was going to get out. Uh, but then all of a sudden we had, we had heard about some people that were, that were like essentially getting separated uh, against their will. And so there was a few of us that were like, well, you know, we, we sort of started doing this for 9-11. You know, we've done this for a couple years. We've got like a little time left, but we're not going to make this a career. So I'm just going to like raise my hand and see what happens because if, if my career were to get ruined, that's, totally fine it's I'm, I'm not that's not for me 
Um, and, and then we felt like that's better than somebody who actually went in and wanted to make this a career getting randomly, you know, getting their head chopped. So is this out. like, is it a long-term career then? I mean, is it like, can you go to 05 bill at six, uh, 06 oh, yeah. bill in yeah. this, in this field? Yeah, I mean, so since then, I mean, the, they created the, I was, I was in the space command and since then there's a space, you know, they created the space force. So I was like the part of that space command before it, it broke up. Yeah, when they did the breakup, by the way, there have been some individuals that's gone through the ranger school down at uh, Fort Moore now, not Fort Benning. Um, so we really do have space rangers out there now. So I, don't, I didn't know if that's you were wild. aware of that. No, I've, I've only seen the weird uniforms that they wear in the Space Force. It is kind of weird. It's, it's a little so bit weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a throwback yeah. to uh, Star Wars and all that. <laughs> it's definitely Star Trek. Maybe yeah, Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, very, very odd. So uh, they've also made, I guess, a satire out there. Uh, I don't know if it's Netflix or Max or one of those that created a satire about. Have you not seen it? No, I haven't. Oh, you'd probably love it. Okay. Because um, of all the craziness and right, stuff that goes right. along with it. It's totally meant to be, you know, a farce. So. Um, all right. So when was it and how long did you totally stay and you made the transition? Yeah. So I made the transition in. Uh, my last day active duty was uh, August 15th, 2007. I was in Minot, North Dakota, just telling myself, I gotta just get out of here. Um, I gotta find a way out of here. So I started working with a, like a, you know, military to civilian recruiter um, and got hired uh, for a consulting job in DC, which was interesting. Uh, well, but it was probably more of an, a, a good transition for so, it in a way, right? Because of the strategic... I, I, you would think so. Um, I had a really, really high specialized clearance. Everybody does that has that job. You have a... It's called like a top secret Cat 6 ESI or something like that. It's a very specific top secret clearance. And I think a lot of those uh, government contractors in D.C., will just kind of pluck these military officers because of that. That's how I rationalize it at least. Cause I had no business, like I, I had, you know, I had this super technical specific job that obviously translates into nothing <laughs> yeah. outside, outside the silo, you don't have outside an ICBM? the missile silo. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm, I packed up and moved to Washington DC in 2007. A hell of a time to move to DC too. It was <laughs> yeah. just before it was really election election season. Yeah. Um, I was I was put onto a project at the FBI, so my I would go into work every day and and go to the J Edgar Hoover Building, which was wild. I mean, it was like a finance department. You know, again, something that I'm horribly unqualified to to kind of be around, but. Um, I would walk into the J. Edgar Hoover building every day and you know, that's where I'm working. That's what I'm doing. Cool. It was wild. No, it, was, it had to be totally wild. I mean, first off, you, you come out of college, you're looking to be maybe um, an attorney or something along that line. You end up going to the Air Force. You thought you were going to be a pilot. You right. go ICBM. I mean, this is like... Your whole world is not what you thought it was going... Somebody redefined your world right, for you, right, Kurt. right. I th and that's life, right? That that's how it works. Um, the more we plan, the less the less the road kind of pans out. Um, at least in my life, that's how it's been, and that's a valuable lesson as well. But yeah, it was it was interesting uh, looking back on things. Obviously, you know, FBI has been in the news a lot just for whatever over the last few years. But it was it was an interesting experience for sure. And after that, what did you end up doing? I, I, I really, the, the, the time in DC just sort of, sort of like rattled my patriotism a bit. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever spent time there, but it's a, it's a bit of a soul sucking city. Uh, and I, I just didn't, I wanted to be away from the government. 
I was over it. I, I was like, you know, I, I did my thing. Let's, let's get out. Let's get on with life. Like I need to, I just want to go somewhere and start a life. My sister had moved to Houston. Uh, my friend, our mutual friend uh, lived in Houston. A lot of my college friends lived in Houston. So it was just a natural figure something out and get down there. And then I'll, I'll figure out whatever's next. And so that's what I was trying to do. Now, what happened when you got out there? When, so I started, uh, I talked to, I was actually consulting, uh, one of my buddies on my team was, uh, an ex army officer. He had, he had actually gone back into the reserves, but he was active duty. And a lot of us, it, it, the, the cool thing about that consulting gig was like, it was almost like a bunch of ex military guys that, that had no idea what, what the hell they were doing there and where they were going. And it was, it was good because we got to like go through that together. So, uh, one of my, he's, he's become a good friend of mine, uh, um, started talking to me about how to make money in Houston and got me connected with these guys. And I, I kind of interviewed and I actually told this guy, so I had never really interviewed for a job at this point. Like I was given a job because they wanted my security clearance out of the military. Um, but I was, I was, I have to be, or, or was probably one of the worst like consultants ever. Uh, I had no experience, no nothing. Um, of course I work hard, but I mean, it helps to know something too, you know? Uh, so I talked to one of my buddies that's, that's the, uh, army guy. And he, he says, let me, let me just introduce you to these people and, and get you an interview. So he gets me an interview and I start talking to this guy. And, and again, like I'm, I'm, I'm fish out of water. Like this is my first, you know, I'm a, I've been out what now, like four years or something like that. And I'm, I'm really on my first interview and I hadn't prepared. I didn't know like how to close an interview or ask for next steps or any of that stuff. Right. So I call this guy and I talk to him and I have a good conversation with him. And then I just like hung up with him and I called my buddy and, and he goes, did you ask for the next interview? And I was like, mm, not really. No. Uh, okay. So where'd you leave it? And I was like, I don't know. I just told him like, like to, like I was interested in to call me back or whatever. And he's like, dude, he's like, you totally screwed up. He's like, you, you gotta figure something out, like call him back or something. So I call this guy back. And in the meantime, I just booked a ticket on Southwest, like down to see him. So I call this guy up and I go, Hey, look, um, I, I just totally flubbed that interview. I want you to know that I recognize that. I think that you probably feel that as well, even if you don't want to tell me right now, but I'm going to be down there in a week. I just got a plane ticket to come and see you. Let me just sit with you in your office and talk to you about why I think I'm good for your business. Right. And the dude like said nothing back to me and was like, okay, so next week I said, yeah, I got a plane ticket. Like I'm going to be there. I'll, I'll just, I'll wait outside your office, man. And he goes, I like it. Come see me. And so he set up an interview with me and, and that was kind of like my first lesson in, I have to do this myself. Like I am going to have to claw my way through life. It's not just going to be, here's your next rank. Here's your next assignment. Here's what you need to do now. It's going to be me like hustling. Well, that's kind of the takeaway from people that get out of the military is that, that ladder, that pipeline yes. isn't there for you anymore. That support, that uh, that example of people moving up and you being able to, you know, emulate them or something. Now I felt the same way. That's why I leaned on Rob when I got out. Was like, how do I do this? How do right. I get out successfully? And what are the steps? And I, I could imagine in that time frame there wasn't a bunch of people that were exiting the military at that time. Right. That was right. mid global war on terrorism. So it was kind of it fresh was. in the space of getting these these veterans out there. Not right. just to mention, you are from a very specific, yes. like you said, very yeah. limited had, yeah. skill. Yeah, I had no, like, zero transferable skills. But, I which mean, is great. that This is a great topic because um, there are a lot, probably more um, people that listen to this podcast that are from 
the community in this space that those MOSs, those skills don't necessarily transfer to the public sector. So they end up going to work for the government. They end up doing uh, private contract right. jobs and all those types of things because it feels more comfortable. What you did is said, I'd like to get out of my comfort zone. Yeah. But then also you recognized your value, which and you wanted to course correct possibly, I'm guessing right. from what um, previously you felt like maybe the Air Force took you away from or right. the transitional opportunity didn't present you with. So let me course correct, put it on yeah. the right path. Yeah, man, I, I had to, for me, it was like, I, I, I had to just jump in the water, you know, and, and figure out what I was gonna do. And I think it's interesting because when you do that, you sort of start building that armor, you know, that I, I can do this, you know, I can do this. I mean, to this day, I, like, I don't, I'm, I'm in, in my own opinion, I have a lot to accomplish in my life. Like, I feel like I'm just getting started uh, in a lot of ways because of, you know, sort of my path and what I've learned and, and you know, so what I think are my gifts to help other people. Um, I, I, I was just, I was telling you about my friend who just retired. We were sitting around the table late at night and there was a couple of us left. It was the three that ended up going to Minot. Three of us were sitting there and I just looked at him and I told him, man, you're going to get, you're going to, at some point, you're going to walk in to a new thing and you're not going to have that rank on your shoulders anymore. But the most important thing you can remember is that you are still a leader. You have to still be a leader. Like the, the other MOSs that you're talking about, the, the, your value is, is not specifically what you did. It is your courage, your ability to lead, your, your ability to follow people, right? I mean, we talk about leadership all the time, but you know, I'm a, I'm a leader now, uh, or have been a leader. And I can tell you what makes teams really good. That, that's just important as good leadership is good followership, right? Um, how that team really uses its strengths to, to, you know, accomplish the next thing or, or reach new heights. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about to me. So, well, I, I would agree, but I think that it takes an individual who has the ability to inspire others, right? Who has a vision where yeah. individuals can see that, um, who's genuine, um, trustworthy, trust them, uh, right. you know, the subordinates in that process. I think these were things that you learned along the way, either yeah. through your own mistakes or things you witnessed, uh, working with individuals that maybe weren't um, great leaders, right, right. you know, cause I can tell you from my own personal experience, it wasn't that great, but you took all of that and let's face it, you've been highly successful in the private sector. Um, I mean, your, your position now is of a very high position within an organization where you do have that ability to set the tone and, and yeah. um, inspire and motivate and lead others. But you're hitting on a very important factor. That I think a lot of people when they do transition miss out on. They feel like I've got to keep going in the direction that I was already on the path in. And I think what you're stating is, is listen, get out of your comfort zone, go back and find your center. And sometimes you've got to define your own destiny that if you allow somebody else to define it for you, it might be something entirely different as it was in your case yeah, from the very sure. beginning, you know? So I think that's a great message. Yeah, I mean, I mean the, uh, my my kind of shtick early on in my career when I would talk to talk about new opportunities with people was always, look, if I can learn how to launch a, a nuclear weapon in 90 days, I can do this job. I can learn your business, right? And I think we sometimes forget what we did because this isn't just about me learning ICBMs. It could be, you know, in, any MOS doing whatever it is that they do. Uh, it they tend to forget about like the the small percentage of people who actually do what they do it's it's a very small you know it, it feels like when you're in it that you know it's it's huge and there's so many people but but in the grand scheme of things if you go and talk to the average person like they haven't done any of this stuff and i think sometimes it just takes people realizing and and honestly um appreciating what you've done. I think a lot of times in the military, we're just so beat up about what we have to do 
that we don't almost like give ourselves credit for what we've done. I mean, it's, it's one thing to be humble and modest. Um, I, I, that's a value that I, I say that's sacred to me. Um, but that's more of like an external thing. Like it took me a long time to acknowledge that I, I since I even kind of do it here, like, you know, it's not a big deal. Other people think it's a big deal. All right. Well, I'm down with that, yeah. you know? Um, but I, I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for what we've done. And then what industry are you in now? I'm in healthcare now. See, that's totally different yeah. than launching ICBMs. You, know you know what, Rob? I'm in leadership. Yes. I'm, I'm in a place yeah. where I inspire people. I'm in a place where I get to take care of people. That, that's really that. what I'm doing, right? Those soft skills that you learn, you learn the leadership skills. Totally. It might be, you know. From bad leaders, from putting, good putting leaders. Putting a rocket from, in the yeah. air, or it could be getting a product out, or completing a project, or whatever it is. And that leadership will translate. That's one thing that we've kind of noticed throughout the throughout this journey of mentors for military is leadership translates. Good leadership translates. Bad leadership will carry over as well. It will. It yeah. will. But there's, I, I feel like there's always an opportunity for somebody to turn it around. Like you, like it always bothered me. Um, I, I've, I feel like I've had a lot of bad leaders. You know, we, we probably all have, and I'm not necessarily saying in the military, but just in, in corporate after that, um, just, just an attitude of, you know, sort of like me first, me first. Is this good for me? If it's good for me, then it's something that we'll do, right? And I feel like what what all these military veterans have to offer is that you you did something for the good of something else. That is what you specialized in. So bring it into the business world because the business world is thirsty for something like that. I mean, it's just we've sort of strayed in the business world from you know, serving a bit, a, a bigger purpose and a better cause, a just cause. It's been what's good for me. What's good for me. What's good for my career. What's good for, you know, this, um, layoffs and you know, this, that, and the other thing. And, and I just think that, that the business world is, is hungry for, for people that want to do the right thing, be good leaders and, and sacrifice and, you know, stand up for people and represent people be elite, you know, by example, I'll you give know, you a, living what you're, what you're trying to preach and stuff like that. Sorry. I'll give Go you a, it. I'll give you a, a simple, and I know you probably already know this, but for those who are listening or watching, I'll give you a simple uh, percentage um, to kind of emphasize that of how we're, we're very much in the military mission oriented. Um, we know exactly how to set out. We know the strategy and the vision. We set out the plan. We make sure that we have everything laid out to, to execute on it. We have contingencies built in, all of those types of things. 85%, 80 to 85, depending upon what white paper you read, of companies fail to execute their strategy. That is an actual factual number. And so when you think about that, that's because there's been poor communication. People don't understand the vision and the strategy. They don't understand the objectives. They don't understand the key performance indicators in order to get you there. Mm -hmm. They don't understand how to develop a plan. They don't know how to execute that plan clearly because they don't have all those front end elements of it. That's kind of what you're describing too, is that you're taking not just the soft skills of leadership and everything else, but in some relation, either as an enlisted soldier or as an officer, as you move through the ranks, you begin to carry these skill sets with you that do translate in what you're describing. Yeah, I mean, I, t I, I tell people all the time, it, do it doesn't matter what industry you're in. And to your point about, you know, the strategy not, not being executed or coming up short or whatever, you're, you're, it, every industry is essentially the same. They just sell different products right but ultimately what you're doing as a leader is making people better that's that's my business right doesn't matter if it's healthcare or i left healthcare tomorrow and did some completely new industry right when you're when you're every business depends on its people your job is to take care of those people make those people better and I mean, you can you can look at the stats behind the different companies that have tried that. They've all done really well. I want to switch gears real quick because of your former OMS. I just want to kind of bounce back to that, to that into terms of current events. 
Recently, everybody knows that we had those, you know, balloons that came from China that floated across America and everything. From you, from your past experience and what you know, um, everybody was putting out there, you know, the, the doom and gloom, the conspiracy, all that kind of, do we have anything to be worried about of what they were doing and taking photographs? And is it as severe as we say, in your opinion, obviously, this just is just my your opinion. opinion. And this is my, this is just my opinion. I, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I, and I did talk to some folks just to kind of formulate a better opinion. Um, you can go on Google right now and look up in North Dakota and you'll, you'll see some things up, up there. Uh, it's like, I, I don't know is the right answer, but, but I, don't, I don't think that's a big deal. If you're not as concerned about it, having been there, then I'm I mean, not I think as concerned. I think it's weird. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, I, I definitely am with you on, on that. But, I mean, just from a very tactical perspective, I, I think at best it's, it's just, you know. We get the same image. They can testing pull up testing yeah. some things or, yeah. you know, maybe our detection systems <laughs> and stuff like that. But It's very interesting that you say that because I think um, people have actually pointed out that this was not the first series, that there have been right. others. They have not been highly as reported, right. but they were in the past and all of that. So um, I tend to think that um, at times that there are tests that do occur, like you're describing, let's go ahead and see what happens out there, uh, what we can gain in terms of information. Um, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I, I, I thought because of your career field, what it was that you did within the Air Force, if anybody was alarmed and concerned by this, um, it probably would have been that small nucleus of people that you described earlier <laughs> that did this function. They would have yeah. said, Whew, "Yeah, this is yeah, this is not good." You know? Yeah, I mean the the we we would encounter like protesters on our missile sites and wild stuff like way in the middle of nowhere in North Dakota. And when when I say in the middle of nowhere, like my not North Dakota is in the middle of nowhere. Great city, by the way. So if anybody's up there listening, I I do not want to say anything negative about that town because it's full of just salt of the earth people. And there's a huge military base there, and and a lot of a lot of the folks end up sticking around there. Um, but you know, who who knows who who knows what what is what the objective there was. Um, I don't know that it was specifically targeted at maybe our ICBMs or anything like that. Okay, I, I would doubt that because they flew all the way across. Right. It, it does seem odd that they yeah. I hear yeah. what you're saying. Getting back to the transition and, and all of that, I mean, you mentioned that you're in healthcare. I mentioned that you're highly successful in the, in the role in which you play within an organization. Um, what advice would you give, the primary advice that you give to those who are separating from the service, whether or not they have those, um, like in your case, you didn't have those transferable uh, skills and stuff in terms of military or occupational specialty, but you had those soft skills and everything else. But even for those that do, what have you found to be the most challenging? And, and what was it that you saw within yourself that you needed to, to make the change? Um, you know, I'm, I have been sort of telling myself in my own head uh, that I will be successful and I will sort of have this type of career trajectory if I'm being honest, that's, that's been my story to myself. Um, I, I, I lead with that, which is probably kind of a weird answer, but, uh, I started working with a life coach and the, and, and she like really helped me pull this stuff out and, and put it on paper. Uh, and when I started doing that, uh, I also coincidentally like quit drinking almost four years ago, um, and really started taking care of myself. Uh, the the plan started to make sense to me like all the things that i've sort of you know you go through life and you it's like you're wearing a tool belt right and you're sticking tools in it along the way but you don't really know what am i building right i don't i don't know what what's the job right and so for me it, it was get starting to put those things on paper and actually have a plan like understand myself understand my value and then apply that to wh whatever game of the day is in front of me. Um, I, I mean, I would just encourage those folks to, 
use resources like that. I'm not saying you have to go out and get a life coach tomorrow, but um, certainly if you can, I would. And, and I think that helps tremendously, but, but understanding yourself is, is the biggest piece of that puzzle that I think you miss because you think about what I did and how that transfers and who I know and all these things. But like at the end of the day or at the tip of that spear, you have to compel someone to believe in you. And when you start talking about that story, that's a different story than what you did and how many medals you have and, and all that stuff. In fact, I would say if somebody's trying to pick you up for only those things, I don't know that I want to like give myself to that person. Like mm -hmm. they're not getting the, the value of me if they're just taking, like they're looking at my tool belt like, oh yeah, you've got that. Yeah, we, we need that. Bring those two tools in here. Well, when you're done with the tool, yeah. Right. You, you quit using it. Project's over. You're, you're done. I don't have any use for you. So that's not my story. That's not what I would tell someone to, to sell to somebody. What's your favorite book or the thing that's probably influenced you since you came out? Uh, I ran across a book called the art of exceptional living that I think is, it's still one of the best. And I would recommend reading it on audio because you pick up some Jim Rohn, voice in there and some some actual uh his his voice some of his seminars the art of exceptional living is one of my absolute favorite books and i also think uh, there's a, there's a book that simon sinek has wrote a ton of leadership books culture books start with why leaders eat last the infinite game i feel like he's on to something I've, I've lived in both worlds that he talks about kind of the you know, the, the profits over people versus, you know, uh, people first, um, mentality. I think, I think those books are, we should all read them and, and bring those, those to the world. Cause I think that's what we can do as, as veterans. And I think what you've mentioned here, um, the first part of this whole thing was like, an amazing segment talking about a career field that I don't think very many of us even understand or know about, quite frankly. Well, when you say it, and I, I feel like me and you know a, a little bit about the military, and I'm like, huh? Yeah. You yeah. were what? Yeah. Well, and again, I know what I know from the movies. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate you kind of at least shedding a little bit of light of what you're allowed to do and then um, your personal perspective in terms of the confidence of, you know, things. And, you know, that's an important, you know, right. aspect to everything that's going on at the moment. But the leadership and the transition piece, I think, are key takeaways throughout this episode, um, because at some point we're going to take off that uniform. Yeah. At some point, we're going to go out here to the private sector and have to demonstrate our value back to some organization. And if you don't know what that elevator speech is, you don't know who you are individually, it's easy then to fall into what you're currently doing and feel the comfort there. But what we're saying maybe is perhaps Think about getting out of your comfort zone. Challenge yourself. Read some of these amazing books that you're describing there where it gets back into the personal. Find a life coach. Um, do those types of things that really set you on a different path. And for that, man, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all that knowledge. Absolutely. My pleasure. My pleasure. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Kurt. Love hearing from you.